Welcome to Making the Magic, a podcast chatting about all things Disney, Universal and beyond. This week, we're going to be answering some of the questions we regularly get asked about planning a trip to Disney World. I'm Amanda. And I'm Martin. Yes, I think this week we're going to answer the questions that were asked the most, really, avoiding all the sort of COVID-related things. But these are the questions that people who were asking before COVID and are still asking now. Yeah, so people have their sort of specific circumstances, don't they? But there are particular questions that get asked over and over again. So we thought it'd be useful to do a little show answering those. Yeah, so these are sort of quite generalised kind of questions, but your circumstances might be a bit different. So, of course, always speak to us so we can give you actual personal advice. So, shall we crack on with the first question, Amanda? Yeah, off we go. So I think probably the question we'll ask the most is, when is the best time to visit? And, of course, the answer to that is, any time... Well, exactly, yeah. There's no bad time to go to Orlando, is there? Well, there isn't, but I think there are kind of certain considerations and certain things that people need to think about when they're um, planning their trip as to when is the best time of year for them. The kinds of things to think about are, of course, are you restricted to school holidays if you've got children? Yeah. Can you do a little bit of a mix? Can you do mainly school holidays but come back or go a couple of days beforehand? Because that can make quite a bit of a difference as well. Another thing to think about, of course, is that the UK school holidays are different for parts of the year to the American school holidays, but then there's sometimes when they're the same as well. So that's going to affect the crowd levels. So, for example, in the summer, the American schools break up a lot earlier than us and start going back around mid-August. Yeah, I think the back two weeks in August can be a really good time to visit. We've been a lot then and you really do see the crowd start to, to drop a lot. The thing that people perhaps worry about going in the summer, of course, is you are going to get some rain. You're going to get those afternoon storms. It is, strictly speaking, hurricane season. They'd be very, very unlucky to get an actual hurricane um, up in Orlando. But you are going to get those big afternoon storms, aren't you? You are, but they don't really last that long, do they? I mean, and it's Orlando as well. So everyone's always amazed the first time they go is, it, you know, the three o'clock rain comes almost dead on three o'clock. And then, you know, it rains for 10 minutes solid. And then if you've been inside, like if you've been on something like, well, if you'd been on back in the day, if you'd been on Ellen's Universe of Energy, if you'd been on there for 45 minutes, you wouldn't even notice that it rained outside. You come outside and all the pubs are all dry because of how hot it is. It dries out the bacon quite quickly. Yeah, so the summer months, you can't get away from the fact it is hot. It's hot, it's humid, it is going to rain. The good thing is the parks are open long hours. So they might be opening as early as 8 o'clock in the morning and going right through to 10, 11 o'clock at night. So in the evenings, still nice and warm, so you're not having to pack jackets and coats and things. So if you're there for the fireworks, it's still going to be reasonably warm for you. But if you really don't do well in the heat, yeah, that's perhaps not the best time of year to go. Yeah, it, there is sort of a bit of a difference in the temperatures sort of the winter kind of months, sort of just November, December, January, February compare that to July and August where it, it does get hot it's humid all year round anyway isn't it it is a bit of a difference compared to the heat if you've only been to you know sort of Spain or maybe Dubai it's very sort of dry heat compared to the humidity you're going to get in Orlando yeah I mean the most popular times to go are Easter and Christmas Easter I think is pretty perfect with the weather it's warm enough you know it feels Definitely nice, like a really warm summer day in the UK, but it's busy because lots of people want to go then because it's a good time weather-wise and you've got the two-week school holiday for most people. And so just to bear in mind, yeah, lovely time to visit weather-wise, but then you are going to get the crowds and it's going to be a bit more expensive. Yeah, and of course during the school holidays, the school holidays are pretty much uh, America and the UK around the same time because they kind of follow when it falls over Easter so not only do you have the UK crowd, you've also got the American crowds as well. So, you know, the prices do reflect this. When it's busy, Disney do charge more, as you would kind of expect. So Easter can be busy and expensive time to go uh, as well. And likewise at Christmas as well. I mean, who doesn't want to be in the Magic Kingdom on Christmas Day? Yeah, I mean, all over that Christmas period. And Disney, Christmas isn't just one day. It does go on for several weeks, both before Christmas and after. I mean, we're talking Christmas season starting really in November, isn't it? And goes even after Christmas till probably second week in January, you'll still be seeing some Christmas trees and Christmas decorations up. So if you want, we've talked about this in other shows, if you want all the Christmas stuff, then you can do that at a less crowded time than actually going the two weeks over Christmas. 
having said that, was a what better place to spend um, your Christmas school holidays than at Disney? And with all these things, although the parks may be busy at Easter and Christmas, there are ways to still get around that. So you have a great holiday and yeah, we can help you with that to plan your days to optimise your time. Yeah, so we always help people out with the crowd calendars and then there's also products that you can buy at Universal uh, and at Disney as well that sort of help you manage those kind of crowds uh, as well. But we can also give you tips of sort of the best ways to get around the park, sort of minimise your walking, but also minimise your queue times as well. Mm-hmm. One of my favourite times to visit, and it is getting increasingly popular now, is around um, the Halloween celebrations. Yeah, very, very busy now, of course, over Halloween. Because people love going for a Disney-themed season. I think, well, Halloween was the first time that I went. I went over that sort of Halloween time was the first time that I went to Orlando. And if you've never been before, uh, we went to Universal Studios for the 31st. Um, So we were in there for Halloween itself. And it was the first day that I'd been to Universal. So, of course, you read all these things about what Universal's like. And then on top of it, you've got the, the Halloween overlays. And I don't really do, I like sort of fast rides and things like that, but people jumping out of you, that's not my thing. So, you know, <laughs> that was a bit, of a bit of a difference. But see, Disney is a bit more toned down and family friendly, isn't it, for Halloween? But it's a great time to go and see, especially if you've been a few times before, it mixes things up. So not only have you got all the regular attractions and rides you want to do normally, you then also got these different seasons to go and see as well. Yeah, so as well as the parks being decorated in the theme, both Disney and Universal have after-hours events. So at Disney, you've got Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween parties. I mean, they have been starting as early as, as August, you know, when, when the parties were, were running. So again, it's not like you've got to be there just over Halloween to experience these things. And then over at Universal, of course, you've got the Halloween Horror Nights. Again, not really my thing, but they are really popular. So these are extra ticketed events. And if you particularly want to go to those, then, of course, you do need to go at that time of year. Yeah, but they're generally on every couple of nights, aren't they? So if you're going to be going to Universal, for example, for, for four nights, then the chances are at some point in September and October, you're going to be there when there's one of these events on. And then pretty much the same with Magic Kingdom. They're every couple of nights, aren't they? Yeah. And then again, over at Disney, they have lots of themed times of the year. So you've got Food and Drink Festival. You've got Festival of the Arts, which is going on now. You've got over Epcot. So there's always a different sort of season. So if you particularly got Flower and Garden, I love that time of year. Have you been up for, for Flower and Garden? Not for Flower and Garden. I've done the Food Festival Quite a few times, and I really do think it's quite a bit of a change of pace. You've got all the sort of fast-paced rides, and then you just spend an afternoon and an evening wandering around, trying little snacks from around the yeah, world. What's, what's not to like? Doing yeah. It. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's very nice, and you've got the weather to go with it as well. So you do feel like you're in Mexico, or you do feel like you're in, we don't feel like you're in the UK. It's too, <laughs> it's far too warm. I mean, but then why, I never understand why anyone goes to them. You've had the rose and crown, haven't you? But I don't understand why people go and have uh, British food. You have British food in the UK. It's the same as when I go. I tend not to go to the French pavilion as well. I live in France. I don't need to. <laughs> I don't need to go to the French to go and have uh, French food. But I really love going to all the different little extra stands that they, that they pop up. I remember having the liquid nitrogen where they freeze the ice cream in front of you. Yeah, that was lovely. That was really nice. Very, very creamy. But of course, you still have the liquid nitrogen sort of. The, the smoke coming off the top of it as well. So it makes great photos and great videos as well, doesn't it? Yeah, no, some of those things, it's just extra special. And so if you've been be- lots of times before, just having those new things to experience it is really good. Yeah, so should we move on to the next question? Yeah, so the next question we get asked a lot is, should I buy my tickets for Disney Universal in advance or should I just get them when I arrive? Well, firstly, do you really want to be spending your first day? I mean, at the moment, you can't buy tickets uh, on the gate anyway, but beforehand, you could sort of go up and sort of buy tickets on the day. Now, when I worked for Disney, we got free entry to the park, but what we had to do is we had to queue up every day to do that. And there were some days where you know, it was a 45-minute queue just to go and get tickets. And I was thinking, I'd rather just pay, <laughs> to, to be honest, because, you know. But, yeah, why would you want to queue up on the day now? With Disney, you do have to book your parks in advance, so you really, you you definitely can't just sort of buy tickets on the day. Plus, also the cheaper the UK market is a really valuable market for both Disney and Universal. So they create these amazing value tickets that are only available to UK guests. And we get people from all around the world 
asking, can we buy these tickets? Can we book these packages? They are for UK travellers, unfortunately. But it's a great way of saving money. If you're planning on going to the UK 14-day universal ticket, now it sounds like a lot, and you're probably not going to go to Universal for 14 days, but it's about the same price as a two-day ticket at the gate. So why would you, even if you're just going to go for three days, you've got that extra day for free. Plus, you also get the water park included as well. Yeah, so the UK tickets, they they are, say they're a better ticket, really more flexible, more competitively priced if you're going to visit for more than a couple of days. So at Disney, yeah, the tickets include the park hopping. So you go from one ticket to another, include the water parks, even include the mini golf, which is one of my favourites. So, yeah, you're getting all of that in, included. Plus, you can then book your park days in advance. You've got to do that now. So snag them straight away so that you're not turning up the week before and finding that the parks that you want to visit are all booked up. And, and same for Universal, you know, the tickets that you get there at the moment, the three park explorer tickets for the price of two. So you've got the Universal Studios, Islands of Adventure and the water park, Volcano Bay, and you could hop from one park to the other. And that park hopper ticket for Universal is essential, isn't it? Oh, definitely. If you want to go to the Hogwarts Express, which is amazing, you have to have the park up a ticket, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. So definitely recommend buying your tickets in advance. You can pre-book your park days. They're better value as well. And then, as you say, you've got everything sorted, haven't you? You're not messing about when you're there having to, to queue exactly. up and everything. Yeah, plus you also get Memory Maker as well when you go to Disney, and that's worth about $200. That's all your digital photos all included as part of your package as well. And that's really worth it, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. I mean, the other thing getting asked at the moment is, should I add on the Genie Plus to my tickets? Um, we'll perhaps do another whole show about that because that's probably more than just kind of a two-minute answer as to you know when it makes sense to add it on and when it doesn't and how all of that, that works. But again, that's something that you should think about when you're planning your tickets is should you add the, the Genie Plus on? Yep, definitely. So the next question we're asked a lot is, how old should the kids be to go to Orlando? Mm-hmm. I mean, so the first thing to say is not all of the bookings we do are for families, are they? We get an awful lot of adults who are going to Disney. So it's not just for kids and for families. So you're never too, in my mind, never too young or too old to be going to Disney because there really is something for everybody. But going back, if you are a family here traveling, oh yeah, we get I mean, having a very small babies. Unless you're going, you know, you've got older kids and you, you want to take them and you happen to have a younger one as well. It definitely can be done, you know, even with very young children. But, you know, you have got to think they're perhaps not going to be able to go on so many of the rides. Look at the, the height requirements um, that are there. And there are lots of rides for young children, toddlers, but babes in arms, you're going to spend quite a lot of time switching between you who's going on what rides. Maybe wait until they are just a little bit older. When the first time we went to Disney World, I think my kids were three and five. They definitely went too young. It depends on on the other kids. It also depends on what you want to do because there are Disney do have and Universal do have that the rider switch. So if you do want to go on Hulk, for example, one of your favourite rides, up oh, there, isn't yes. it? To go on Hulk, um, if one of someone does want to do that, then everyone, you know, the other person stays up and looks after the the younger kids or if the older kids want to go on the other rides. You can just do the ride to the switch, which is nice and easy. And then obviously having things like Genie Plus, if you're staying on site at Universal and you've got the either the extra hour that does help, but also having the Express Pass, you know, there's ways around it. So don't think that just because you've got a newborn, it's not something that you can do. Um, you definitely can do it. you just got to think about how long you want to be out in the sun for. I think this is going to fit in quite nicely with the next question that we're going to be talking about. but it's things like how long do you want to be outside for? How, how often do you need to then pop back to the hotel for when you've got the younger kids? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think lots of people do think, oh, we want to wait until the kids are old enough to remember it. So it's going to be a one and only trip. And everybody says that and then goes back down. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, we want the kids to be old enough. So we'll perhaps wait until they're 10, 11, 12 which is it's fair enough and then they can do the bigger rides and things. The only thing I would say is I think you do miss a little bit of the, the Disney magic and wonder that you get from younger children going. So particularly meeting, yeah, meeting the characters, all that sort of thing. I mean, I remember my, you know, my daughter meeting Cinderella or Mickey Mouse and just like, oh, it's really them. And yeah, you're not really going to get that with a 14-year-old in the same way. 
No, I mean, 14 year olds, most of them do love meeting Mickey Mouse and the favorite characters as well. But, you know, I think there is that wonder and that amazement. And also, I think it's one of those things that if you get kids used to doing that kind of stuff when they're younger, they're fine. Sometimes we see kids when they're sort of like 10, 11, they've never really been to any other theme park or like that, and it's a bit much for them all in one go. So you know your kids kind of better than obviously kind of we do, but it is something to think about as to how old um, to take the kids, but you can really go at any age. Yeah. I mean, I think it's good maybe to try out going to Disneyland Paris for a couple of nights, see how you get on, particularly things like with characters, aren't they? Some kids, I mean, not at the minute, you can't do the very close character meet and greets. You're standing a little way away from them. But some kids love meeting characters and others are absolutely terrified of them. So maybe try out a shorter trip going to Disneyland Paris before you kind of embark on your bigger trip going to Florida. Uh, yeah, definitely the characters, one of those things that can scare With Just a little tip as well is we had my niece come over here and she would have been about 22 months. And since she's been born, my sister really likes Pirates of the Caribbean. So they've been playing the music Pirates of the Caribbean and, that's, and she likes the music. So when they took her on the ride, which has two drops in it, it's going to be quite dark as well. She was fine on the ride because she's hearing the music that she knows. So if you can get the kids kind of used to Maybe sort of like some of the ride music. I mean, that does mean you might have to play It's a Small World in your house uh, constantly, which might drive some people crazy. But if you can do that, it gets them used to that kind of the music and the atmosphere. The photo that we had for her on Pirates of the Caribbean, she, <laughs> I start, it's on the drop. So she was a little bit scared of the drop. But the rest of the time, she was actually she kind of pointing and things and pointing at chickens and uh things and she's not listening to music she's going pirates pirates oh bless her oh yeah i mean and there are so many things that you can do with with younger children i mean certainly disney's not all roller coasters is it by any means so there is plenty to do with younger children yeah so i think that kind of brings us quite nicely onto the next question doesn't it it is so this is probably one of the most commonly asked questions is should i stay on site at Disney and Universal too. And I think, again, this kind of one firstly comes down to a budget. It is cheaper to stay off site, but then there are hidden extra things that might come in. Uh, I mean, if you're staying off site, for example, in a villa, then you need then need to add in the cost of uh, renting a car and then parking on top as well. So those kind of things start to, start to do add, uh, add up. If you're staying off site, some of the off site hotels have got resort fees. So you're paying $25, $30 per day. On top, when you've added that on, you might be able to sneak into a uh, an on-site hotel as well. But some people also like to stay off-site because they want that freedom of being able to go off around the international drive to go and have the cheaper restaurants or more variety of restaurants uh, as well. We'll go and see a bit of different part of Orlando as opposed to just being within the sort of two bubbles. But linking back into the previous question, I think a lot of it, it depends on the age of your kids as well is, if I had a small baby or younger kids that still need a nap, I'd definitely stay on site because I can be back in my hotel room very, very quickly. I can leave maybe someone else and the older kids uh, in the park, go back, have a nap, maybe go in the pool as well, sort of chill out, cool down a little bit, and then go back in a bit later to go and watch the fireworks. Yeah, I would say staying on site at both the Universal and Disney is the kind of easy option. It's sort of the, the the least stressful. It's very easy to get around. They've both got the free on-site transportation, so easy to get from your hotel to the parks. And as you say, take a break in the day. That's easy enough to do. You could take a break if you go back to your villa, but it's going to just take you much longer to get back and forth. And I know when, when our kids were little, we did tend to stay in villas and you'd, you'd go back for your kind of afternoon break with all the best intentions are going to come back in the evening. By the time they've been in the pool and you've got set up at home, it's like, yeah, maybe we won't bother. So it's kind of, a, you know, it is definitely easy to go back if you're staying on site. I would say with younger families, it really depends whether you're all happy to be staying in, in one room together. Most of the rooms on site are sort of two queen beds, you know, all in one room, some that sleep up to five people. So if you've got a larger family or you don't really want to go to bed at the same time as your kids, then that's where some of the off-site options might work better for you. Or a big extended family where you're taking the grandparents and things. So, you know, a nice big villa with your own pool can be a really brilliant holiday. So it does, it really depends on what you're, you're looking for. And um, 
Cost, as you said, can be a, definitely be a consideration. So staying on site can be more expensive, but you have got value options at Disney and at Universal. So you can you know, bring the price down. Yeah, I mean, the price of staying at end of summer at Universal isn't that much different to sort of the price of staying off-site, realistically. They also have sort of the two-bedroom uh, apartments as well on-site at some of the Universal ones as well. So that does make sort of a bit of a difference, I think, with staying on-site at Universal is you can get the extra space, whereas when you stay on-site at Disney, if you want to have a studio or a one-bedroom or a two-bedroom, because they're Disney vacation properties generally, it's quite a difference in price, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, those family suites at Art of Animation are fab. You know, you've got plenty of space. You've got six people there, but they've got quite a hefty price tag to go with yeah. it. But the cabins at Full Wilderness as well, I think they're perhaps, um, people don't always think about those, but the cabins there sleep up to six too. So if you have got a large family, there are some options. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're really good kind of option. But then there are sort of better value options, say off-site Something that's quite popular with us is uh, the Florida's Resort, and they have two and three bedroom apartments. They've got really nice swimming pools. You're right next to the supermarket. You don't really need a car because they do do transportation to the parks, but you can Uber, Lyft, or taxi to these kind of places quite easily as well. But the downside is there is a resort fee, so you are paying about $25 extra per night, but you really do have to build that into the cost of staying there. And weighing that up is especially if you've got older kids, you know, the older kids can have the, another bedroom off to one side with their own bathroom. You as parents can then have your own bathroom and your own um, bedroom as well, which is separated. And then you will meet in the middle in the kitchen slash living room, which is massive. The plus also there's a sofa bed as well, because when we go uh, a lot of the time, if there's five of us, I end up on the sofa bed, which is surprisingly kind of comfortable actually. Plus, also, you're right next to the fridge as well. So if you need to get up and get a, a drink in the middle of the night, because it is warm, but we know we need the air conditioning on a lot because it can get really warm in Orlando. Plus, also, you can sit out on, the, on your own balcony and sit there and chill out. The pools at these places tend to be really good. I think Flores has got four pools, so you've got loads of space to kind of like chill out and relax. You're also close to off-site restaurants as well, which does help keep the cost down. Yeah, they are self-catering, but you know what? You don't actually have to cook anything. A lot of the time, I think most of the time in a two-week holiday, we probably cook maybe once or twice. And by cook, I mean switch the oven on, throw in some pizzas, and then eat afterwards. But things like breakfast, you know, breakfast isn't included at 90% of the hotels. There's only a few of them that do sort of maybe continental-style breakfast or do a hopper breakfast buffet. That's including, they tend to be the, obviously like the offsite hotels anyway. But just having those, being able to get snacks, being able to go to Walmart or Publix, but you can go and buy uh, some bottles of water. It's going to save you a lot of money when you go in the park because a bottle of water is about $4, just over $4, something like that, uh, for a bottle of water. So if everyone's taking in a bottle of water or a bottle of Diet Coke or something like that into the park, you've already saved $16, $20 just on drinks and then snacks and things like that. So yeah. I think staying off site definitely has its benefits, but also staying on site does as well. We, if you speak to us, we can give you a bit more of a personalised based on your family and your requirements. Yeah, I, I don't know. We've really answered that, have we? I think we've given that, and it's a depend. <laughs> yeah, it depends. Yeah, which, of course, with all of these things, it, it, it does depend very much on your family makeup and what you want to do. But I would say, kind of shorthand, if you want completely stress free, you want to stay in that kind of park, whether it's Disney Universal bubble then on-site is great. If you want more space or you want to perhaps keep the cost down, you don't mind maybe about driving, then off-site maybe is a better option. I think probably is the short, shorter answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, that brings us quite nicely into the next question, doesn't it? Yeah, driving. so do I need a car to get around? Personally, I don't like driving anywhere in the world. And it is very easy to drive in Orlando. The gender tends to be automatic cars. So even if you've never driven an automatic car, been on the Tomorrowland Speedway, pretty much the same thing, isn't it? That's what all that car is. It's pretty much the same. You just point it in the right direction. Well, my personal thing with driving is if you're staying off-site, you've then got to pay for parking, which is about $25 per day, which, you know, it does start to add up if you're going to park for sort of 10, 14 days. You want to look at sort of another $250, $300 on top of your costs. 
uh, of that. Then you also need to put fuel in the car as well. Yeah, but I think that's very much cheaper than here. I mean, I think... Yeah, it's definitely cheaper than in the UK and in France, but it does sort of start to add up. If you're staying, for example, on site at just your hotel, they now charge for overnight parking. So you then got that fax of that in. You pay for that, but then you're not paying for parking at the theme parks. So it is cheaper, but then you've got free shuttle buses to take you up to the park. So why do you need to then drive, you know, uh, and that? I say driving, a lot of people obviously staying in a villa, people will drive. If you're staying in a hotel, it depends if the shuttle buses, depends on how far away it is. I personally just use Uber and Lyft to get everywhere. It's very cheap and it's very easy to kind of do. I mean, from where I normally stay offsite, it's about $8 each way to get up to Universal and about 12 to get to Magic Kingdom, which is like the furthest point away. So even if it's $12 to get to Magic Kingdom, $12 to get back, it's the same price as parking the car for the day and you don't have to drive. Yeah, I mean, car car prices have, have gone up a lot recently uh, as well. So just adding on a car, it is quite a lot of extra expense com- compared to how it used to be a few years ago. I mean, if you're staying on site, yeah, as you said, you've got to pay to park your car both at Universal and at Disney, and they've both got the free on-site transportation. So I wouldn't really recommend doing that unless you want to go and do days where you might want to day, day to the beach or you want to go a day to the Space Centre. But again, you don't have to hire your car for the whole time of your holiday there are places to pick up your car at disney and at universal so you could just book it maybe for five days in the middle if that's the time that you wanted to go to the shopping malls go to you know other places that are outside of orlando a little bit more difficult to get to and um, so you could just have a car for a part of the time we did it for in the space center we had a car for, for one night we picked it up the night beforehand went to kennedy dropped it back the next night after we've been to kennedy Nice and easy. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. Um, I mean, some people have it for slightly longer if they want to go and do shopping. But again, you can Uber and Lyft so easily out there that you don't really need to have it for those kind of little kind of trips up to the malls or anything like that. No. If you're staying in a villa, you definitely do need a car. Most of the villa locations, it just would be impossible to stay there um, unless you have a car. So you need to to factor that that in, that you're happy to drive and the, the expense of adding that on. But again, that's a nice holiday. I you know, I really do have very fond memories of the driving back, you say, stopping at Publix on the way, just picking up some stuff and then kids flashing <laughs> out in the pool at the end of the day and just being able to come and go in your own car is a little bit easier um, than getting on a crowded bus with everybody else at the end of the day. Oh, we've done it before when uh, we went, went to go from Hollywood Studios down to Disney Springs and you know, the rain was about to come in and the bus had arrived and then was full and we were still in the queue. So we just got an Uber down to Disney Springs. It cost us about $5 or something like that. So sometimes you can just jump in. The other thing to think about if you are going to Uber and Lyft is the availability. If you're going really busy sort of times, if you're going to be there for fireworks, for example, then you need to think actually how long are we comfortable waiting around for one to turn up because there might not be enough for the amount of people that are doing it. Yeah, so you don't expect you're just going to jump straight into an Uber as the parks empty out. And, of course, you know, these companies have surge pricing, so what might be a really cheap fare in the middle of the day is going to be an awful lot more expensive just as, yeah, the parks are tipping out after after fireworks. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people, I think, if you're going to be in that situation, we would just wander around the shops, be the last people to leave the park, or maybe sort of like head down to Disney Springs. As well, it depends on obviously what time the fireworks are on. Yeah. So again, the short answer is it depends where you're staying. If you're staying, <laughs> yeah, we're kind of we're eking these out on me. If you're staying in a villa, you definitely need a car. If you're staying on site, we would advise, unless you really, really want one, that you probably don't need one. So next then, back to the parks. How long should I go for and how many days should I spend at each of the parks? And again, I think the general answer is it depends. Yeah. <laughs> it, it depends on your ages. Things like, uh, who should, we start with Universal because it's the part that people out of the Disney Universal sort of probably spend the least amount of time. Not to say it's bad or anything like that. It's just that it's a smaller park. You can walk between them or take the whole water express nice and easily. And you also just got the one water park as well. So with there, it depends on sort of the age of the kids. They tend to be bigger, faster kind of rides, don't they? So if you've got younger, smaller kids, probably won't spend as long there. If you've got older kids that don't enjoy roller coasters and faster kind of rides, then 
again, they might not want to go there. But if you've got kids or adults like me, and like Amanda as well, who love fast roller coasters, then definitely I think you need to spend a little bit longer at Universal. Yeah, but I mean, they are, it's not as big as, as Disney. So you can easily do with one day in each of the parks, whether that's like one whole day in one park or one whole day in park and um, one whole day in the other, you're probably not going to do it like that. But two whole days, you would get most things done at the Universal Parks, especially if you were staying in one of the on-site hotels, you're getting that hour early entry and you're staying in one of the deluxe hotels with express passes included, you're definitely going to get it all done in two days. I would then have another day to go back and repeat the things that you really liked, be able to build in some time to have a bit of pool time at your hotel and if you want to do the water park as well. So I would say if you're going to stay on site there, three or four nights is the kind of optimum amount of time. Yeah, I think for four nights is generally sort of what most people do. And then on the crossover day, maybe go to the water park if it's good weather or go into the park parks and go to finish off those last couple of rides that you really wanted to do or just do again. Mm-hmm. So at Disney, we've got the four main parks and the two water parks, quite often one, one is open, one is closed, you know, in off-season times. But so let's, let's stick with the four main theme parks. The Magic Kingdom, I would definitely put aside two ideally three days at that park so it's the park with the most rides and most attractions yeah absolute minimum of two days to get around things and yeah ideally an extra day yeah i think again especially if you've got younger kids or if it's the first time going to a disney park it's the most iconic one cinderella's castle and you've got the rides where when you think about disney you think about space mountain big Thunder mountain those kind of things they'll read magic kingdom aren't they yeah there's an awful lot of rides crammed in there and um and shows and things as well, and some nice dining options. So you need to have in- enough time. And um, the big question, of course, is: Do you turn left or do you turn right? We're going to see whatever the crowd calendar and uh, the plan uh, and genie tells me to do. <laughs> yeah, I'm a day one. I'm a definite turn left into Adventureland, or maybe like straight on a bit of Fantasyland. Try and get on Peter Pan, maybe, and through to the Haunted Mansion, and through to Adventureland, and that way. That's my always day one Magic Kingdom uh, route. I mean, if it's your first day in the park, what you're meant to do is you're meant to get onto the railroad uh, and go around because the idea is you can see things and it gives you a bit of a flavour and just basically do a big loop around uh, Main Street. I did this in Hong Kong. First time I went to Hong Kong, I went, you know what, this is what Walt wanted us to do. He wanted us to jump onto the train, go and have a look around and then pick where you want it to go afterwards. But this is before sort of smartphones that you can see waiting times and things yeah. like that. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously the train at the Magic Kingdom has been closed for ages now with the construction of, of Tron. So I did used to like going on the train, but I certainly wouldn't do it at first thing in the morning as soon as I arrived because <laughs> you know, there's other better things to be doing that will be getting uh, queues uh, later in the day. My other top tip as well is rides first, characters later. Yeah, it's very tempting as you walk into the park um, and on Main Street, you see a character meet and greet opportunities, but you can always come back and do those. I would be on to doing the rides. The only exception to that, I would say, is going to meet Mickey. If you get in and see him first, he gets quite big lines. And it is nice to go and have a, a one-to-one meet and greet with the main man when you're um, in the Magic Kingdom. You can, but you can meet Mickey in all the parks. Uh, as well and if you're going to do any character dining there's a good chance he's going to be at one of the character dinings as well so it's not necessarily essential to go and see him in Magic Kingdom I do like him there though yeah but you know we've been to go and see him in Animal Kingdom because he's you know, in the safari kind of outfit as well so it's a, it's good to kind of have the different uh, yeah. outfits he's got his 50th outfit on at the moment though in the Magic Kingdom so oh, yeah Aerodestant see him there so that's the Magic Kingdom. So two or three days, if you, you can there. More is always better, in my opinion. Epcot, again, definitely at least two days. Yep, it's so big to get around. I mean, just the walk around World Showcase, it was about a mile, isn't it, in total, if you just start Is it only with that much? Magic it Man. always feels longer than that to me. <laughs> <laughs> it's about a mile, yeah. And it is big. But then you've also got things like the evening show as well. So there are things that are going to keep you within the, in the park for, for longer. Uh, as we mentioned beforehand, if you want to go have a little wander around and go and have the different snacks, that's going to eat up quite a bit of your time as well. There's slightly less things to do for younger kids in there. But again, 
they might have a bit of a nap in the pushchair whilst you're having a tequila cocktail in Mexico or something like that. Or who's <laughs> stuffy in France? I'm afraid that's stuff on my list. Well, there you go. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, so Epcot's really divided into two parts anyway. Sort of naturally, you've got the future world bit at the front, and then you've got the world showcase at the back. So it could be that you do one early morning start in Epcot, try to do the front of the park, maybe a little bit of the world showcase, and then have an afternoon, evening day there where you're coming. Maybe after lunch, doing the walk around the World Showcase and then staying into the evening for the fireworks. And I know some people do that open to close in, in the parks, but that's not me. And I think for most people, it's, it's too much, you know, particularly if it's in the summer, it's hot. If you get in there as soon as the park opens at nine o'clock in the morning and you're planning to stay till gone 10 o'clock at night, then yeah, you've got to have a fair bit of stamina. Oh, definitely. And you've got to sort of almost... Plan out your day so you plan in breaks and you plan out times to sit down because if you're on your feet the entire time, then that's not be fun. Is no, it? no. So we're saying to go and do two days at these parks, but that's not necessarily. It definitely isn't open to close. Park opening one day into mid afternoon, and then another day go either mid morning, mid afternoon, and then go right through to the evening and um, to get the most out of that park. Yeah, I think Epcot's a nice one to come back to mid afternoon because especially if you come from Hollywood Studios, food isn't great in Hollywood studios and we usually do studios in the morning then take the boat we'll have a Skyliner uh, over to Epcot and then go and have food in World Showcase from somewhere and of course you can park hop now can't you so after two o'clock in the afternoon as long as you've tapped into the first park that that you've booked and you can hop over to another park so you might want to do big ride heavy morning somewhere and then go have more of a chill afternoon in another park and do a nice um sit down table service dining to just refresh yourself have a bit of a rest and then yeah into some evening activities yeah well much the virus in the so hollywood studios again depends on your age of your kids they tends to be the bigger faster rides uh, are in hollywood studios a so rock and roller coaster tower of terror uh, star tours and that's the height restriction that's quite low if that seems fundamental rise of resistance as well so these are the big bigger scarier if you like kind of rides that little kids might, uh, obviously either can't do or might be a little bit too scared of doing we've got a lot of shows at that park as well haven't you so i think which are good for families with with younger kids i would say the studios used to be seen as a one day park or even a half day park yeah but since we've got galaxy's edge that whole new land and we've got toy story land as well again i'd be spending at least two days here not two full days, but to actually, you've got some very popular rides that get long lines. So to sort of pace it out and so that you kind of get the advantage of getting on these rides early in the morning before the queues build up, then having two goes at that rather than just trying to fit it all in one day, you're going to have a better time. Yeah, I think a lot of people start in Hollywood studios and then move on to work the other parks because some of those queues can get really like rise of resistance, you get a really long queue, you want to do rock and roller coaster. It does wake you up quite early in the morning, doesn't it, if you're there at, at park opening or, or extra magic hours to go and do rock and roller coaster or Tower of Terror. I mean, that'll, that'll wake up, wouldn't it? It certainly would, yeah. I mean, I'm more of a straight to Toy Story mania and like warm up. <laughs> um, but things like Slinky Dog, I mean, the, the queue times for that can be huge. So, you know, that's definitely one to go and do early in the morning or if you've got the genie plus service to be booking the lightning lane and um, for that well that is the best one to stinky dog dash but from all sort of the calculations we've done is stinky dog dash is uh, the best ride to use genie plus with because it saves you the most amount of time compared to waiting the sand yeah ride. they go very quick though so seven o'clock in the morning you've got to be yes. on it <laughs> um but i think it's just definitely worth having some night time in the studios because haven't got Fantasmic at the minute, which would have been the main draw to be there in the evening. Hopefully that'll be back really soon. It's a very, very popular show. They do have some fireworks there still at night now, though. But just in particular, walking around Galaxy's Edge at night, I think it is very, it's very atmospheric and very magical. And the whole of the studios walking around, I think they light it very nice and it does look very different in the evening. Yeah, I think all the parks come alive and there's something that different about them being in the evening as well. So it is kind of worth doing that park up in that if you did Magic Kingdom the night beforehand, you might start in Hollywood Studios but end in Epcot because you want to see what it looks like at night. We might go back to Magic Kingdom. So a lot of people do 
hop around and go and do that. Especially if you're going on a day that's sort of maybe going to be busier in the evening in one part because maybe there's fireworks on that evening. You go there during the day, but then you then leave to go to a quieter park in the evening just to sort of soak up the atmosphere. Yep. So finally then on to Animal Kingdom. I really love Animal Kingdom, but one day is usually enough for me here. Yeah, it's not a huge amount to do in Animal Kingdom. Really added in the Avatar uh, a couple of years ago as well. And again, that's an amazing place to walk around at night uh, as well. But a lot of people like to get in quite early to go and do safari. But first thing in the morning, because that's when the animals tend to be out and about, wandering around before the sun gets too hot and they've got to sort of be out in the hide in the shade. But from a what's in the park kind of thing, it is massive. It's the biggest park kind of to walk around. But as you said, one day, two days is great because then you can go back and you can sort of soak up the atmosphere and sort of do it very chilled way of doing it. But you can do pretty much most things in one day, can't you? You can. I mean, it is a lot of walking, as you said, it is a big park. And I think if you're going to do absolutely everything, so there's again quite a few shows there, there's the walking safaris as well as the Kilimanjaro. So if you're going to do all of those things, then definitely two days would be great. But if you are limited on time, I suppose that's the one I would maybe cut the day out of. So if we were doing, yeah, three days at the Magic Kingdom, two at the studios, two at Epcot, and one at Kingdom, what's that, eight days or whatever. So that gives you, I hope I've added that up right, that gives you then another couple of days to revisit what you want to do, to go to the water parks, to go do some shopping at Disney Springs, to just have a bit of a rest as well, because uh, you know how many people we talk to when they get back from their trips and they're like, it was amazing, but I need another holiday now to recover. You know, this isn't a relaxing trip. <laughs> you need to build in time to relax and chill out, have a pool day, build it into your day as well, which is enough for reason to stay on site. And when we do have people who want to do a week at the parks and then a week at the beach, which is a lovely holiday. I just think you're you're going to be pushing it so much for that first week. It would be better, in my opinion, to take that at a slightly slower pace, have a bit more pool time at your hotel and have the, the chill days as you go along rather than a full-on week and then a week of, of relaxing. Put a cruise uh, either in the middle or at the end of the trip as well. So it's another way of sort of breaking it up and relaxing. But yeah, I mean, I've got a reasonable amount of stamina so i generally tend to go in and blast things out and, and have long days in the park but i don't have kids so i can do that whereas if i had kids i'd need to have breaks in the day and to chill out and i'm used to the orlando heat as well and if you haven't been there before it can be quite draining can't it having all that humidity oh absolutely i think you kind of underestimate how tiring it is with the walking, but also just taking in everything. Yeah, it's a bit sensory overload too, isn't it? So you do need to have a little bit of the downtime. Now, we touched on this a little bit, but you know, we get people who want to go to Disney and do Universal. And then the question is, which one should I base myself at? The best way of doing it is just to split it and to do two different places. I think this is what probably the vast majority of our guests do, is they have X amount of nights at Universal and they have X amount of nights at Disney, it's the best way of doing it. We've explained the reasons why it's great to stay on site. If you are going to stay in just one location, then probably off-site is better, sort of either in the villa or to stay sort of into the international drive kind of area because then it's easier to get to both places. But to get from Disney up to Universal, I remember seeing the Mia's taxi sort of guide prices, and this was quite a few years ago now, and it was $45. So... You know, that's $90 plus tip per day just to go up to Universal. Well, it's not that much more. In fact, actually, it's probably cheaper to get one night or two nights in endless vacation than it is to stay, carry on down at, at Disney and to keep getting taxes up. Yeah, we do generally rec- um, recommend doing a split stay. So three or four nights at Universal and then 11 or 10 nights at, at Disney, depending on where your interest lies and um, Again, I would always suggest doing Universal at the, the beginning, get that hour early entry. And if you're traveling from the UK, got that jet lag, it's working to your advantage that you're all going to be ping awake at four o'clock <laughs> in the morning on the first couple of days. So why not take advantage of that and yeah, do that, that early entry into the parks? I think as your holiday goes on, you're going to find it a bit more difficult to do those really early starts. So that's why I would say Universal at the beginning. It doesn't really matter, but that would be me, my preference. Both Universal and Disney have some great on-site benefits. So if you're staying 
on site at both of them, then you, you really are going to have the best of both worlds. Quite, quite a few people do is if they just want to go to Universal for two days, but stay the rest of the time down at Disney is they just book two, they book one night staying in one of the premium hotels at Universal. So they get the express pass, but don't actually check out of the hotel uh, at Disney. You have, this is quite popular, isn't it? Yeah. And I think you don't even have to stay in the room, do you? I think sometimes it works out cheaper to book the room for one night and get the express passes either side and the early entry than it does just buying the express passes separately. So I think we've talked about that in another podcast, but yeah, universal, great on-site benefits. So go have a little listen to that podcast if you want to know more about the benefits you get um, from, from staying on-site. Definitely. And if you're just doing a night, that's just a backpack, isn't it? You just throw some clothes into a backpack. You don't have to pack up all your stuff. You Uber up to Universal, you, you drop your stuff, pick up your express passes, go to the park, smash out the parks in two days. Because as we said, you do get your, uh, for the length of stay that you're staying uh, at Universal, you get your express pass. Go and do Hulk and Harry Potter and all these rides as many times as you like. And on the last day, because the Universal parks generally tend to close a bit earlier, you then jump back in your Uber or Lyft or whatever, and then get back down to Disney. Yeah, there's so many ways to do these things. I mean, I think we're kind of being a bit general, aren't we, the way we're answering questions, because it really can be very specific to your family. So yeah, have a chat with us and we'll be happy to answer any of the questions you've got. So just a final question, one that does get asked quite a lot is, do the restaurants at Disney and Universal cater for special diets? If you have a special dietary requirement, I think in the UK, we're quite good at it. In France, not so great compared to the UK. In America, absolutely amazing. Now, I'm sure you've had this before, obviously being gluten intolerant is once you tell them this, I mean, we've been offered to have to go to go meet the chef, to go to have a look around the kitchen, things like that. Uh, they really go over the top with any food allergy or intolerance or any special dietary requirements. You are completely fine. They have every single thing is listed. You can find out what the ingredients are, how it's prepared. You can speak to the chefs as well, generally, at most of the Disney uh, restaurants, especially the sit-down restaurants and the buffet ones. Sometimes the chef will come out and speak to you. But as long as you put it, the note, if it's a hotel or if it's a, a restaurant where you've got a reserve, make sure you just put those onto the notes and it's all there and it's, they really do look after you. Don't yeah, they? so Disney, I would have no issues at all. I mean, most of the menus now have sort of the gluten-free, dairy-free, other allergy menus listed so that you can browse them in advance so that you know the kinds of things that are going to be available. In the table service restaurants, they will always do their best to adapt any of the other menu items as well. So even if it isn't listed as an allergy-free menu item, uh, they'll do their best to find something for you. All nicely labelled so that you're happy that you've got the, the right meal so, so it feels very, very safe. You can also do with the quick service restaurants the mobile ordering now so you didn't used to be able to do that you'd have to go and talk to somebody if you wanted a particular special meal but now that they're, they're listed there and you could do the mobile ordering too if you've got kind of multiple allergies or um, food intolerances so you want a gluten-free and a dairy-free meal or you want a vegan gluten-free meal then you probably still are going to have to go and talk to somebody but yeah my experience just the same as yours martin whether it's a table service or yeah a food court in one of the value hotels somebody from the kitchen come and talk to you check it out make sure that they're um, getting the, the the perfect meal for you it's going to take a bit longer because they're going to have to cook that from scratch for you in most cases so just be prepared if the people you're with who are ordering from the regular menu they're probably going to get their food in a quick service restaurant before you and um, table service restaurant they'll obviously just bring everything out and um, together over at universal mm, i think it depends some of the the table service restaurants yeah really good and I have never had any problems. I think some of the quick service locations, maybe not quite so good. Similar experiences you do get at Disneyland Paris, where they really don't want anything to go wrong. And so they give you effectively microwave meals where you just rip the top off. So everyone else gets this lovely food and you're ending up with, yeah, the microwave meal, which perhaps doesn't look quite as appetizing. I mean, you can always ask things to be adapted. So I had uh, one person who was vegan uh, and they wanted the um, hash like loaded fries, but everything on top of the loaded fries was vegetarian. So all they just did was they just asked for the no cheese to be put on. Nice and easy, take the cheese off, now it's vegan. 
So there are different ways around it. There is a big book. You can ask for the allergies book, which lists every single product. Uh, so every single thing on the menu and then sort of the ingredients, what potential allergies as well. I mean, it's simple things like, I mean, if you have so, so, like a salad might be classed as not gluten free because it's got croutons. You just ask for it about croutons. Yeah. Unless they're, unless they're pre-made off-site uh, and the croutons are already in there, then obviously not much you can do about that. But, you know, if it's made on site and then put into a container, then they can make one up. <laughs> you just need to go and ask for it, basically. So they will be as accommodating as possible. Uh, we just need to go and ask. The other thing is people always say, oh, we've got fussy eaters as kids. They only eat X, Y, and Z. They're quite good. A lot of people will say, my kids only eat chicken nuggets and things at well you're definitely lucky in hollywood studios that's the one thing that they definitely do have is chicken nuggets uh for, uh, for chicken strips as well as they are aren't they chicken goujons type ones but you know if your kids eat more sort of plainer kind of food no problems as well some kids just eat just plain pasta and again unless it's pre-made with the sauce already on it you can ask for these kind of things, so they will be able to do it. Yeah, it's going to be pretty expensive plain pasta, but yeah, you can you can get it. Yes, <laughs> no, they are very good at adapting things and getting whatever you need, whether it's for a special diet or fussy eaters or whatever. So yeah, you're going to have some yeah. lovely, lovely meals at Disney and Universal, I'm sure. You're not the first person to go in there and say I'm gluten intolerant or my kids are fussy. No, they had. This is a question that comes up a million times a year. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly. I mean, gluten, vegan, dairy free, all of those sorts of things. Yeah, they're pretty routine, aren't they? The numbers of people they're dealing with. Um, you no, know, they've got hundreds and hundreds of people who've uh, got similar requirements. So I think they are the kind of the questions that get asked the most frequently. I mean, the, there are lots of others, but probably need much, much longer answers. So we talked about, yeah, we'll definitely do another show about Genie Plus. Coming to Disney Universal, if you've got particular special needs, you know, I'm sure that we'll have a, a show coming up about that as well. But if you've got any specific questions about planning your Disney or Universal holiday, then get in touch. We, we love a Disney chat, don't we? We certainly do, and we're always happy to help. And if you do have very, very specialist requirements, then if we don't know, very surprised if we don't know, but if we don't know, we can always go and find out and get the information for you. Yeah, that's it. So that's all for this week. We really hope you enjoyed the show. A bit of a different one this week, answering all the questions, but please make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any of our future episodes. And if you like the show, it'd be great if you could leave us a review. If you'd like to find out more about Fairytale Holidays and how you can book your next holiday with us, and just visit our website, that's fairytaleholidays.co.uk, and you can find all the links in the show notes. So thanks for listening, and have a magical day. Bye.